What is up? This is the 3 and D pod. I am your host, Justin Lewis. As always, joining me is my co-host, Mr. Ben Hogan. Ben, a minute. How are you doing, sir? I'm all right, man. We got a packed house tonight. We do have a packed house. We got a great show uh, coming for you guys. Uh, and it's crazy. Is you, usually we talk about the, the newest stuff that's happened. Um, so for us, it would have been the... Uh, I guess the trade with Minnesota and Jared Culver, and I could talk about how much more I hate him than I hate Dylan Brooks. Um, <laughs> but we are not going to do that. We have some guests with us, uh, and I'm just going to roll through and introduce them, and we'll, we'll jump in. Uh, first with us is Miss Lauren Gunn. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing great. I am stoked to be a part of what looks like ladies night. So I, uh, I'm i stoked to chat with everybody and uh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, Lauren, tell everybody uh, where, where you're at and what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am a writer for uh, the Dallas Mavericks SB Nation page, Mavs Moneyball. I also co-host the Gunshot podcast with my brother, Grant Gunn. Uh, and every now and then I, I co-host uh, the Blue Hardwood podcast, which focuses on the Dallas Mavericks with Brian Zillum. Awesome. Uh, so we have a Dallas Mavericks person in the house. Maybe you'll catch a theme here in a minute. Joining us next is Miss Marilyn Dubinsky. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing good. How are you? I am good. Glad that you're joining us. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what you do and where they can find you? Um, well, I am a writer, writer editor, um, kind of second command at uh, poundingtherock.com, which is the Spurs SB Nation affiliate. And uh, that's just kind of my side job in the real world. I work in the gas and oil industry, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you can find me at pounding the rock or on Twitter at Alamo Aggie. Awesome. Uh, pounding the rock and Mavs Moneyball are two of the best uh, SB nation uh, Twitter presences there are out there. So I'm glad that we had these two joining us tonight and finally uh we, we're going out of the division here but uh she just recently wrote a piece on Xavier Tillman and we're gonna let her talk about him and uh her view uh on the Grizzlies from the Eastern Conference and that's Miss Katie Heindel how are you ma'am I'm doing well I'm just sitting here lulled by all your accents it's very soothing to me everyone's <laughs> I'm just I'm really enjoying it but uh it's great to be here and thank you for having me Yes, I'm, I'm glad you came on. If you would just kind of tell everybody, you know, where you're at and what all you do, because you're the one that was the, like, the hardest <laughs> one to try to figure out how to introduce and made me decide, hey, we'll let you do it. That's fair. That's good. Um, yeah, I am predominantly a features writer at Dime. Uh, I've also done some writing with the Raptors, uh, with Real GM, uh, with Complex, with The Athletic. I have a subset called Basketball Feelings, which is concerned with those things. Um, and I'm the host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast, as well as the uh, Basketball podcast. I think that's a decent summary. Yeah, she's everywhere. Um, all three of these ladies are awesome and do great work. We're going to jump in with Katie right away and her piece on Xavier Tillman. And I know she was excited when I asked her to talk about it because she said that she loved talking to him. So I'm just going to kind of let you take it and talk about it for a minute. And then Ben and I might ask a couple questions for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to admit, like, I'm extremely biased because Tillman was someone I wanted the Raptors to draft last last year uh, because of the Toronto Raptors excruciating center problem lesson. I won't get into like any vain slander, but it was, you know, you go, you guys know, you go from someone like Marcus all 
Serge Ibaka into like mm, not the best. It was it was pretty bleak. So I wanted Tillman to fill that void for Toronto. But more than that, I think I just enjoyed watching him this past season because he ended up getting, I mean, by virtue of COVID and like the way that it wreaked havoc, I think on the league and all the soft tissue injuries we saw, he got a lot of meaningful minutes with the Grizzlies. You know, he essentially became their backup center. Um, And to just see him kind of reap, I think the benefits and I think squash some of the doubts that people had about them. It's one of the things I really hate about the draft is this assumption that players have to pan out perfectly immediately in their first season, because it's not realistic. And it's certainly not realistic for someone like Tillman in the role that he has, you know, he's like not that type of player, but Paul said, I was extremely excited to watch him play at summer league. Um, I was also excited to watch him and Desmond Bain play together because they have established this kind of quick, really fun, super fast and loud chemistry. Um, so to see that in person, I think that's what made me just more curious to be able to like sit and talk with him. Um, and yeah, like I was excited to talk to you about it because he's so kind and like nice. And he has this kind of effect. Like if I was talking about soothing voices earlier, he's one of those people, the best way I can describe it is like talking to him. You can hear like a smile hanging around his voice. And it's just like immediately puts you at ease. But I think that has a lot to do with his personality. You know, he's like a very, he's a very mature player. And I think he's handled his, all the responsibilities that were thrown on him this season extremely well. And reading your piece, uh, I, I noticed that it looked like that Tillman was working on his offensive game. As a Grizzlies fan, it was nice to see that he was trying to develop his shot even more. We saw glimpses of it during the, uh, during the season. He could hit a couple big shots, but to see, in your piece that he's working on his long range. I think that'll help a lot this season. Yeah. Cause he was like, uh, he was a careful shooter, I would say, right. Like he was trying to yeah. add that to his game this past season. And he was really concerned with where he was shooting from, if he was shooting from deep and at summer league, it seemed like he kind of loosened up a little bit, you know, he was taking shots and like, yeah, he wasn't making them all, but he was more than willing to try. Uh, and that's something that we got to talk about after one of the games that they played was just like, yeah, he's, he's careful, but now their coaching staff, they're like, we see that you want to shoot. So when you get that inclination, just shoot. Also, that's what summer leagues for basically for people just like shooting, no holds barred. So it was very cool to see him at that. And I think that's something that you can probably look at him reliably folding into his game this year, which has got to be like, I don't know, such a boon to that Memphis team. Yeah. I don't, with the acquisition of Steven Adams and still having Brandon Clark on the Mm -hmm. roster and, Kyle Anderson being better at uh, the four than he is the three on the floor. Tillman's got to play, but at, at whose expense are we only going to play Adams 20 minutes a game? Like, I, I don't know what to do with him. Did you notice in summer league kind of some, some more like playmaking um, out of him than you maybe expected? Yeah, actually I did. I, I was pretty impressed by that because he wasn't just, 
I, at first I'm like, all right, you know, they're having to bring the ball up. Like it's kind of split pretty, pretty evenly between him and Bain when they're both on the floor, but more than that, he, like he, he did become a predominant playmaker. I'd say in, in the games that he ended up playing, I wish they played him more, but I understand why Memphis was more con- like they wanted to get their new guy, their brand new guys reps, you know? Um, so I think that's why that happened, but yeah, he, that was something we got to talk about. He mentioned just that was something that he was trying to work on his communication with he said he's always been a really communicative player um, and like person, but the opportunity to kind of lead into what I think because Bain's such, done such a good job. He's so bossy on the floor. Like he's always talking, right? He's like always kind of chattering. And I think that definitely rubbed off on uh, X. So it was really cool. I think, and also I think like, you know, to what you mentioned before about where he kind of fits within that roster, not to say he's a total, you know, if we're moving towards what we whether or not we're moving towards a true positionless league, I think there's so much more strength though, especially in a big, you know, not necessarily playing that staunch kind of traditional role of a big man. And so the fact that he wants to add shooting and the fact that he wants to add playmaking, and we've seen glimmers of that now, again, I think that's just super fortuitous to his time in Memphis, but also his career overall. And he's only like, and he's just, he's also, been in the league such a short time, which is a thing I have to remind myself too, right? It's like the fact that he is looking at those things now and wants to work on them in a meaningful way is just going to explode his game. You mentioned that he was kind of finding his voice and he was working on his game as well. And in such a young locker room that the Grizzlies have, do you see the potential of him possibly becoming a locker room leader, even though he's only been with the team for, for one season? Maybe I know I've heard people make comparisons with him because he's a father. Like he's, he's, he's like automatically good at, you know, talking to people and kind of like directing people, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Cause he also does strike me as a little bit of a soft-spoken guy. Um, but that said, like one of the, I think from an outsider's perspective, one of the most interesting and intriguing things about that Grizzlies team and the locker room is it is such a young team, like median young team. And they've kind of all picked up, that leadership role pretty seamlessly. I think it moves pretty fluidly between like Ja and like, you know, it just, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be one person yet. Um, I mean, if Tillman, if that's something that he wants to do, I think he'd do a really extraordinary job with it because he definitely seems comfortable. Um, and also like not such a, he's not a tyrant, right. <laughs> By any standards, like he's not going to be this like ruthless presence of the locker room. So, and again, I think that's like, if, if we're going to, maybe I'll just make a little confession. I was a little bit nervous for you guys uh, with P- the Pat Bev stuff. Cause I was like, that might throw everything off uh, <laughs> in terms of the chemistry, but I guess we'll just see how it shakes out. But yeah, like, I think if he wants to naturally gravitate toward that role again, like just with what I saw between him and Bain and Vegas, um, he seems more than equipped to do it. I'm going to shift off of X for a second because you made a comment leading into this that we know how it feels to to go from, you know, Marcus Gasol and, and Serge Ibaka to you guys mm-hmm. went to Aaron Baines and Aaron Baines struggled a little bit. We went from Gasol to Valanciunas and Valanciunas was a beast. And I know you guys ended up missing yeah. them in the end. I miss uh, JV so much. And I'm also so, I'm so upset for JV that he's not with Memphis anymore because I think for JV, like more than, a fit on the floor like he always did so well in Toronto because he was such a locker room fit you know and he knew where he kind of fit in with the chemistry and the, the inner workings of the team um, and he got to do that in Memphis like that that was such a relief when I saw that you know when I saw him kind of step into that and the way that also like all those young guys responded to him 
So that sucks. I really like, I thought he was in Memphis, honestly, for the long haul. Yeah, I think. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. We, he, he and I, <laughs> ben and I were his like biggest proponents at the blog. Um, I was like deemed president of the JV Hive down here. Um, but in the playoffs, his uh, defensive inefficiencies kind of mm-hmm. were highlighted by the Utah Jazz. Um, and I think Stephen Adams may help us in that area, whereas – I don't know what New Orleans is thinking going. They're not going to have any defense uh, between Zion and, and Valanciunas on the perimeter. Uh, last question for you. Were you mm-hmm. shocked when they took Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs? No. No? <laughs> no. Uh, because I've been around Masai Ujiri long enough that I understand his penchant for, like, these kinds of guys that look exactly like OG Ananobi, <laughs> you know? And, like, I think right now the concern with the roster, it's not a concern. It's just, like, he wants – everyone to be to look and feel and play a certain way when you look at you know scotty barnes uh delano banton og ananobi um precious achua it's like really long strong extremely versatile players that are going to you know we talked about versatility and development a little bit earlier and i think that was one of the through lines that summer league team is how much they all just talked about wanting to get better and develop their games and a lot of them looked I mean, for summer league, I thought they looked fairly complete, Persis Chua especially. Um, but no, nothing Masai really does shocks me, I have to be honest. And uh, Scotty's like such a good personality fit already. And like that is something that Toronto has always really valued uh, in its players. So we'll see what happens. But also like I'm, I have like reasonable expectations for Scotty Barnes. I am not holding him to this like, He's got to do it all this year, you know, like, I just want to see, I want to see him thrive basically. And I think he could do that within that team. Yeah. I I personally had Jalen Suggs ranked like seventh or eighth on my big board and had Scotty fourth. Um, I just didn't know if Masai would go with him having Pascal and and OG Mm -hmm. and and how he would fit in there. But clearly, like you said, he's got a type. It's Um, more is more. Yeah. It's more is more for Masai. (laughs) Right. We're going to, we're going to transition to um, the the lady that covers my favorite summer league team, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. And it was my favorite because I was a big proponent of EJ Anu. Uh, we actually had his college coach on our podcast and talked to him a little bit. Uh, and then of course you had Devonte Shuler and I'm an Ole Miss fan. Um, and Shuler had a, had a good showing. And then Tyrell, Tyrell Terry was a favorite of mine from last year um lauren what's what's the excitement level with the young guys over there in dallas you know it i would say it depends who you ask to be honest with you but um i personally am very excited about this young group and kind of i guess piggybacking off of something that katie said was you can't expect these guys to just come in and just reach their ceiling in year one or just wow and you're not gonna every not every prospect is gonna come in and just wow you um and so they didn't really get a whole lot of an opportunity last year. A lot of uh, Tyrell Terry uh, had some off the court stuff going on. And so he, he was away from the team for a little while dealing with some personal stuff. And so take that into consideration. And, and just the fact that Rick Carlisle doesn't really love to play rookies. And so they all performed well in the G league when they were there, but they didn't really get their opportunity to play with, at, uh, with, with the team. And so we don't really know. It's not that we don't know who these, wh- where they are, but with kid and the fact that they haven't really gotten their opportunities yet, we don't really know where they're going to fit. And so 
I know that there are certain things that I like about each of their games that I'm really looking forward to see one who makes the final roster and, and where they fit within the rotation. I think Josh Green is a guy that should get on the floor every night. I don't know if that will be the case, but I do think that he should just solely. I mean, you could make an argument alone for how much effort he plays with. Um, but yeah, I, there's a lot that's still up in the air right now. And when you've got a, a pretty new team and, and, and an entirely new coach, there's a lot of change that's about to take place. Uh, besides the Luca extension and the Jason Kidd hire, what was the best move the Mavericks made this offseason? The one that got you the most excited? Oh, man. The one that got me the most excited. I guess it, it would have to be the Reggie Bullock signing. I think that that was an incredibly underrated, underrated signing, and it kind of shows um, that they are kind of taking the step, not back, but shifting their focus back to surrounding Luca with more consistent shooters. They had a certain vision and goal in mind when bringing in Josh Richardson, that just didn't seem to be a fit for either side. And so bringing in Reggie and, and even Sterling Brown, they're going to be, be these reliable shooters. Bringing back Tim Hardaway Jr. was, was huge. I guess I should say that was my, my, the one that got me the most excited. Cause I was very worried for a second that Detroit was going to come in and snag him. But um, yeah, I really like getting Tim back surrounding Luca with these shooters and and just moving forward with not the current group that we've got because I do still think that there could be some change I'll just maybe we can have a Toronto conversation later but um I do think <laughs> that um that yeah kind of shifting the focus back to surrounding Luca with shooters that shoot at a high rate uh or sh- shoot high volumes at, at a high efficiency I think that that's really important so we'll just have to see how how that shakes out did do you think the Mavericks did enough to Get, get to the next level. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I personally, I think I'm actually quite disappointed with how it went, uh, being that there were not many teams that had cap space. And I felt that they had, even though there was such a massive organizational overhaul, that was, that was a big concern for me because everyone who covers the Mavericks and pays close attention to the Mavericks has been saying, this is the most important offseason maybe in this organization's history. And so to start the off season by your coach leaving and mutually parting ways with your long-term GM is not a good look. Like a little change might be good. A lot of change is never good. So that was very concerning because you have to sit there and think, well, if you are a, a player, like a player that's a free agent or maybe even looking for a trade to relocate, whatever the case may be, you don't want to be the team that, has yet to really prove it's prove itself. Like, yes, Luca is Luca, but you haven't gotten out of the first round yet. There are still questions around who KP is as a player. You have this new coach who doesn't have the best record historically. Um, and now you have this just massive organizational overhaul, front office overhaul, when in the past, half the argument had been, well, we have so much stability within our front office. We've had the same front office for forever. And so having, like, again, a little change is good, a lot of change, and your name being in the headlines every single day is not something that you want as an NBA team. Katie, I'm going to tell you right now, if um, Lauren doesn't get Lori Markin and she wants Goran Dragic. I want Goran more, you way can, more. You can take him. <laughs> I bet. I think he would also be very open to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll it, have to see. Yeah, Lauren and I, we talked about it. Goran would be a perfect fit to go. Uh, and maybe Memphis can hop in and, you know, take on a bad contract for you guys, you and, you know, and grab another asset like Zach Common likes to do. So, <laughs> uh, Lauren, I, I, I want to know, like, me personally, I don't think mm-hmm. Jason Kidd's a good coach. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on kid taking over 
um, this team when you've got a, I mean, generational superstar in Luka Doncic. And I, I guess the idea is that kid was his big guard that played somewhat similar. And so he thinks he can unlock Luka. Luka's fine. Don't, he doesn't need to be messed <laughs> with. Like, yeah. What yeah. Are your thoughts? Yeah. So there, I mean, there are a lot of layers to it because at first, when I, when I saw that that was the news, obviously a lot of mixed feelings um, that has been broken down a million times. Um, but with what he brings, the expectation is that he's this guy that has a lot of connections, a lot of relationships, the Nico Harrison kind of network they are banking on because they have no draft assets. Everyone knows we have no draft assets. So they have to bank on getting someone in free agency or through trade at the trade deadline, whatever the case may be. And so getting someone that has relationships but also that has a relationship with Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban likes to surround himself and his fill his front office with guys that he knows. He knows how they work, he knows their personalities. He I mean, look at how he's continuing to add former players uh into special special advisory roles. You know, whatever position he wants to make up, he's going to surround uh the the team with with guys that he knows. And so with kid um I think they have a lot of faith in Luca's ability to really be that on the floor coach. And they, they hope that they will be this more collaborative team and kind of really look at the game from, you know, Jason Kidd's perspective as a point guard or as a former point guard and Luca's current perspective. But do I think there were better options out there? Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were, there were. And so I really wanted to see Jamal Mosley get that job. I was very disappointed uh, when that didn't happen and when Rick Carlisle failed to endorse him or even acknowledge him, but another conversation for another time. Um, And so with Jason Kidd, you just, there are definitely concerns, but you have to acknowledge from a Mavs perspective, you you have to acknowledge the potential positives. And what kind of drives me crazy is that the NBA is a lot of recency bias. And so as of right now, it's like very, it's very concerning, but if in, you know, the next two years, he somebody forces their way to Dallas, which that would that I mean, wow, that would really that would that would shock me. But because uh, I just think it's too early. But if someone makes their way to Dallas because of the relationship with Nico or Kid, everyone's going to be saying the best thing they ever did was making that significant change. Um, but and then the last thing I'll say about it is they hired um, Igor Kokosov from the former uh, the former Slovenian national team when Goran and Luca won their championship, the Eurobasket championship. So. If Jason Kidd fails to prove himself or it's a, just a disaster, he doesn't get along with Luca, whatever the case may be, he will be the first to go. He will be the scapegoat, the one the, the blame is placed on, and Igor will step in, and there shouldn't be a problem there. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a lot of this hinges on the health of Kristaps, um, because if if he's not healthy, the Mavs won't, won't reach the ceiling that they have Mm-hmm. And it's Luca's not going to get the blame. And I don't think mm-hmm. at any point in his career, he, he may not ever get the blame, just like LeBron never gets the freaking blame. Uh, it's always somebody else's fault. Um, if Kristaps is not healthy, I think the kid hire doesn't help. Um, right. And I, I would have hired Mosley. Um, I think he deserved the job. And Luca clearly seemed to have wanted Mosley as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I think, um, for, for me and Ben, the, uh, division seems to be looking, uh, winnable <laughs> for the first time in, in Grizzlies history. Um, Real quick side note. I think they need to retire the unicorn nickname. Like Chris Stops was a unicorn. Yeah. Jaron Jackson was unicorn. James Wiseman was a unicorn. They all get in. 
oh yeah that's is there a curse there happening maybe i don't know but uh that's funny <laughs> maybe like they the, will who knows like the madden curse <laughs> yeah. yeah so staying in the division we're gonna go to uh maryland and, and san antonio um they have let DeMar DeRozan go to Chicago, which isn't the worst thing for them. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was uh, – he ended up in Brooklyn and then retiring. Uh, now he's considering going back out of it. Um, but, you know, she says losing LaMarcus was great, except when playing the Grizzlies, he was um, unstoppable in those games. But uh, his age was clearly catching up to him. They've got a decent young core in DeJounte Murray and, and uh, Derek White. And some other guys. Uh, I love Keldon Johnson. Uh, I would do anything to have Keldon Johnson on my team. Marilyn, what's what's uh, this upcoming season going to look like for San Antonio? Are you going to be battling Houston for the for the seller? It's definitely going to be one of the more interesting seasons Spurs fans have seen. I think everyone at this point missed the playoffs a couple of years. Have accepted that the big three era is over. The you know, continuing winning ways that were supposed to go on with Kawhi Leonard obviously ended very prematurely. And so I think Spurs fans are now have embracing the rebuild and are excited to see where the season goes. There's no high expectations. I mean, fairly or not on DeMar DeRozan, he was expected to lead the Spurs to the playoffs and outside of his first season there, it, it just didn't happen. And the interesting thing with this Spurs team is they seem to have a very wide range they could go. They could be battling the Rockets for the bottom of the division, or they could be, you know, I could see their ceiling around the fifth or sixth seed if everything goes right, if they can stay healthy. It will definitely be more of a uh, team approach than any individual star because they don't have any stars anymore. But, I mean, if they could somehow recreate what the 2014 Spurs did obviously they won't be competing for a championship but that was kind of the anomaly championship team of the last 10 years the team that did it on teamwork not based on any individual star talent so if if they can get that kind of teamwork going then they could be a lower seed playoff team it's very possible they should be better defensively this upcoming year and um, and they've had a very solid offseason. They, they're clearly playing the long game. They did not end up going for any big-name free agents, which is probably smart. They've left themselves plenty of cap space for next summer when it should be a much, uh, a much bigger field of free agents to look at. But they made solid signings to work around the players they have that won't interfere with the development of players like DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Lonnie Walker. So, you know, adding someone like Doug McDermott, who will give the Spurs the three-point shooting they desperately need, but he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be effective. He'll he'll just spread out the floor for him. I think Spurs fans in general just are happy with a rebuild year that could, you know, if it goes bad, great. We get a higher lottery pick. If it goes good, that means that the foundation building they've been working on through the back end of the draft since about 2015 is working out so the question is with uh popovich you know i I don't know how many years he has left coaching but is he is he going to be there for the rebuild or do you feel like he's got a couple years left and then maybe becky hammond takes over or what's the what do you feel like the plan is there when it comes to coaching 
Well, I have always predicted that he will at least be here through this season because uh, not that Pop is one to boast about personal accolades, but he is only 25 wins behind Don Nelson for the winningest coach of all time. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's secretly pushing for that record. Beyond that, I don't see him being here much longer, maybe two or three more years. I know Spurs fans get a heart attack every offseason when Becky Hammond has uh, interviews with other teams. And then this year, it, it seemed like Portland was going to take her before they shocked everyone and hired Chauncey Billups instead. And that just gives Spurs fans heart attacks. I mean, everyone agrees that Pop has earned the right to go on his own terms, but I think they're also excited to see Becky Hammond take over and, you know, and get rid of the fears that she's going to be poached away. It wouldn't surprise me if Pop's goal is to not leave her with a team that's too much in transition, like this year's team is. He may be trying to just build her just a solid enough foundation to take over the team and lead them forward, but not leave her with a mess. You know, it would be a crying shame if he only got 24 wins this season and was one short, you know? <laughs> it would. And then Spurgeon would worry that he's going to stay another year. <laughs> um, so NBA draft, we're looking, you know, it's it's odd. It seems like all of the the national uh, pundits, when it comes to the draft and the San Antonio Spurs, just they just assume they're going to take an international player like Alperin Shingun or uh, Garubo. They were just mocked to go into San Antonio um, in that first round in the lottery, and it I don't know why, but then they sh- just shocked. It seemed like everybody when they took Josh Primo. One, were you shocked? And two, how do you feel about the pick? Well, before that, I have to point out that Primo is from Canada. So they did take an international player, if that counts. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yes, I was initially shocked. I was definitely part of that group that wanted them to go more for an area of need, which would have been either the forward or uh, center positions. But, uh, I mean, the more I've researched Primo, watched his highlights, watched him in the summer league, I can see what they're doing. I mean, again, they're playing the the long game. They work. They weren't looking for someone to contribute right away, which, you know, we're used to them doing that with the 29th pick, not necessarily the uh, 12th overall pick. But um, there, you know, there were reports that he was absolutely amazing in the combine, that he was shooting up the draft boards, and kind of similar to a couple years ago when the Spurs kind of surprised everyone by taking. Luka Samanich at 19th and Keldon Johnson on 29th where if you rotate him it would make a lot more sense but the Spurs really wanted Samanich and there were rumors that maybe the Celtics were going to take him right after so if they knew who their guy was they went on and grabbed him no longer or no matter where it was in the draft and what kind of mockery it picked and clearly they wanted Josh Primo even if it meant picking him higher than he was projected uh, they reportedly tried to trade back and nothing came of it, but, but having, so I was initially among the group, just in shock with the pick, but having seen him play some read the reports, watched his highlights, I can definitely see the potential they see in him and, and he's very young so they can groom him their way. So I say, give it a couple years and people will probably see, Oh, I see what the Spurs saw in that guy. Yeah, so I need you 
to help me make sense of the Zach Collins signing. That's a lot of money yeah. for somebody that can't stay on the floor. Yeah, although I I will say the second year of his contract is only partially guaranteed and the third year is not guaranteed. So they actually don't have as much money as the three years, 22 million or however much it is. Sounds like it's actually about half that much. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting signing. He does again, fill a position of need, even though he won't be ready to immediately play. But um, I mean, it was another player that he has the talent. He just has to stay healthy. But it was a low-risk pickup. They can always waive him after this season if he, you know, never gets going or they don't need him anymore. But, yeah, I mean, just kind of a low-risk, high-reward in a position of need type of pickup. All right, you got to choose between Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, and uh, Derek White, who has the breakout season for the Spurs. Oh, that's hard. If you follow Lonnie Walker's Twitter account, you'll say it's him. I mean, he's putting in the work. It's a contract year for him. Unlike DeJounte Murray and Derek White, he did not get a contract extension this summer, which is probably smart on both sides. He hasn't really proven what his worth is yet. And probably if he signed an extension this summer, it would end up being a bargain. He'd be giving up a lot of money. So my my heart says Lonnie Walker. I think he knows he it's kind of make it or break it time and he's going to ball out. Although the safer bet would probably be Derek White, just because when he's healthy, he's shown he is, he is really good. He's kind of fringe, borderline all-star. He's probably the closest guy the Spurs have to a go-to player on offense, which they really don't have right now without uh, DeRozan anymore. So it, if Derek White can stay healthy, he I would – he would be the safe bet to be the breakout player. Lonnie Walker's the exciting bet. Yeah. So I, the last thing I need you to tell pop that I am um, sick of him taking his Spurs players over uh, John Morant for team USA. <laughs> I know he keeps getting flack for that. And, but I mean, I will say, I know Keldon Johnson didn't play much, but you know, Draymond Green made sure the world knew that he was perfect for the team he was the energy guy that they needed and so the pl- the players were happy to have him so I guess that's what matters uh Katie I didn't even put this all together until in the middle of this um the the Raptors are connected to these three teams um, I was thinking about that too <laughs> Kawhi and Marcus all helped win the championship. And mm-hmm. then Drogic and uh, Luca just seems like too perfect of a marriage for it not to happen at some point. Um, that's that's kind of weird that you, you came on and with these two uh, these two teams and there's the obvious connections um, that are there. Um, I, I do have a question for you, Katie, about a, a former Raptor um, from my hometown, uh, Terrence Davis. Mm-hmm. Did you get to have any conversations with TD? Yeah, I did get to have some conversations with TD. Um, I'd say, when was that? Pre-COVID, the beginning of his first season with the team. And I have to be totally honest, like I was looking forward to, I was looking forward to him developing as a player with the Raptors. Granted, he got into the situation this year with the domestic assault uh, case. And I think, you know, I had a lot of criticism 
for, for the team, uh, for how they decided to handle it. Uh, and you know, for, I think how Davis decided to handle it too. Like that's something that I think, you know, is a difficult and uncomfortable conversation to have, but I also think you have to have those conversations. I have to say, I was a bit surprised that Toronto never made him available when the team was in Tampa and when he was still with the team, because he wasn't waived right away, which is still a confusing thing to me, but right. you know, it would have been good to hear from him, right. To like give him the opportunity to hold some accountability or to talk about it. But before that happened, I, yeah, I had like a soft spot for Terrence Davis. I really did. I, I, I thought that he, just his bearing and like where he could potentially fit with the team. Also like the Toronto Raptors developmental system is like pretty known for working with players like him and, and you know, how he had come in pretty raw uh, and like making it like making something out of him. So I don't know all around. I'd have to say that was a, that was a bummer. <laughs> did you know that in high school, he was a better football player than he was basketball player? I think I did know. Yeah. We, we ended when we chatted, like we talked a lot about football. Um, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So how much do you love Yuta? <laughs> Yuta's great. He's like, uh, I, I hope that he gets to stay. Um, I think just like you want to talk about energy guys and players who I think realize like so much is riding on it. Like what we we're, what we we're talking about with like what Marilyn mentioned with Lonnie, just like it's a make it or break it kind of season. I think you to realize that in Tampa granted, I think so many of like pretty Gillespie, Ken Birch, like so many of the new additions for Toronto also realize that because it was the perfect, really messed up, not the greatest stage, you know, to turn it on, but they did by virtue of like the fact that they, that they had to do it. So I hope he sticks around. I really hope he sticks around. I know he didn't get to play too much in Memphis, but yeah, yeah. it is funny. Also, I wanted to mention too, we have the DeRozan connection as well. So like, this is a real, this right. is like not even six degrees of separation. It's just like one. <laughs> well, and the Aaron Baines connection, because he was on that yes. Spurs 2014 yes. championship thing. He was the perfect end of bench cheerleader for a championship team yeah, Carol like Lowry maybe he too. just should, should have stayed that way for yeah for Toronto <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, the Carol Lowry connection too Memphis drafted mm -hmm. him and chose mm -hmm. Mike Conley over him um mm -hmm. which like you can't blame them Mike Conley uh, just the kindest man alive like yeah. that guy is incredible <laughs> um and then Maryland I am not upset that Patty Mills is gone I'm so glad he has left the division no kidding <laughs> um Spurs fans were sad to see him go he was the last holdover from that championship team and the the heart and soul of the team I think everyone agrees he deserves to go try to win himself another ring he's given his all to San Antonio and and I, I felt so bad for him this last season because he truly seemed to be the one who was hit the hardest by the extremely condensed schedule that the Spurs and Grizzlies had in the second half of the season because of COVID delays. And I mean, he just, his production really fell off a cliff the second half of the season. And that could have played a role in him leaving or not. It, it wouldn't surprise me if the Spurs offered him more money than the Nets did, but couldn't guarantee him as big of a role as he could get with the Nets. So Spurs fans will definitely miss him. We all agree he's earned a right to go in another ring. And I would say more Spurs fans than not believe his jersey should be retired someday. I'll speak for Ben and Lauren. We will not miss him in a Spurs jersey. <laughs> no. He tortures you every night. <laughs> every night. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right, well, Lauren. We got Bryn Forbes back. Maybe that'll count. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's true. 
Lauren, I want your perspective on mm -hmm. the Valanchunas, uh, Stephen Adams deal that went down. Man, you know, it's so interesting because it's another deal where there are so many layers to it. And when it first got the details first got released, I read it about 10 times because I was like, what did I <laughs> Memphis like, like what you guys were, were talking about earlier? Like I was shocked Memphis moved on uh, from JV and I just because he was perfect. It seemed like he was perfect there, like a perfect fit. The locker. I mean, just they loved him there. He liked being there. And so. I was shocked at that, but when it happened, I was like, they must've loved someone who they worked out and they don't think he's falling to 17. So they got to go get him at 10 and they're willing to take on, you know, Steven Adams contract and, and Eric Bledsoe uh, to do that because they're aware of their timeline and they know that maybe they're not going to be competing for a championship, but their guys, they've got a really, really solid uh, and diverse young core to continue to develop. So taking on bad contracts for two years is, is not really that big of a deal in the long haul. If it means you're moving up seven spots in a draft that is so deep. So I was a little surprised when they took Zare, obviously, but also you don't do that unless you see something, you know what I mean? And Memphis, I mean, not a bad, not a bad draft team. And so I know I was, I'm still not over Desmond Bain. We were so close, so close, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, I think that they do a great job in the draft. And so I, I will be interested to see how he fits. You mentioned earlier, uh, still having Brendan Clark, um, even Kyle Anderson. And I'm not sure I, though I saw that report. I don't know if it was today or yesterday about Dylan Brooks and, and Kyle Anderson, but I don't really know. I maybe Kyle Anderson, but I don't believe the Dylan Brooks thing. Big news. Yeah, there's just there's no way. So anyway, but um, but yeah, the, the trade overall was was I know a lot of people were like Memphis, what are you doing or New Orleans? What are you doing? I actually saw it both ways, but I was like, you know, for both teams, like New Orleans has got to do something like they've got they've got to at least just try to do anything. And so getting someone like like JV uh, was I mean, I just I don't know, I don't because they're continuing to try and clear this money, but they're not using it. No, nobody's going to sign in New Orleans. I Nobody is going to sign in New Orleans. <laughs> Trust me, I know a little something about that. So I <laughs> I understand the logic, but the moves are just not for New Orleans. They're just not very good. So for Memphis, I, I'm not worried about Memphis with the contracts or anything like that. Uh, I'll just be interested to see how, how Zaire fits and how uh, he continues to, to develop. All right, so so staying within the division, like we know Houston's probably going to be down, which but they can surprise some people. They got talent. Christian Wood is they good. Jalen Green's a beast. Uh, Josh Christopher is good. But we're going to badmouth the Pelicans because there's not a Pelicans person here right now. <laughs> Fine with me. <laughs> Maryland and Lauren, do you guys think that New Orleans – you know, I mean, did they not just get worse? It kind of felt like it. I was yeah. surprised with the moves they made and Me too. they just don't seem to be surrounding Zion Williamson with the right talent. It's, mm -mm. I mean, I, it might be that New Orleans is challenging Houston for the bottom of the conference. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with Maryland. I think, uh, I don't know what they're doing. I continue to have the Brandon Ingram conversation of, of, do, is that something that they consider, uh, trying to shake up to, to switch something up because every now and then I'll see a Dame to new Orleans mock trade. And I'm like, who comes up with the, that will never, ever, ever happen. So I don't understand why that is something that's thrown out there. Um, but they've got to do something to try and shake it up. And I don't like Lonzo Lonzo was a good fit. They had a, or I mean, well, 
they had a good relationship and I, I didn't think it was a bad fit, but they just, I don't know what direction they're going in. You mentioned the the defensive, uh, I guess, combination of, of Zion, the fit that with Zion and, and Valanciunas, and then they go out and kind of not swap Lonzo for Devontae Graham, but you take out Lonzo and you insert Devontae Graham. And it's like, well, how does that work with, with Kyra Lewis? I just don't know what the direction that they're going in. And I don't know if Zion knows either. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's definitely interesting. Katie, I want to ask you, um, Toronto's going to surprise some people, aren't they? I mean, they're looking at, you know, they lost Kyle Lowry. So people are just assuming that Toronto's just going to be bad. And I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Like OG is primed for a breakout year. Um, Siakam, you know, if he can stay healthy, I mean, Toronto, I think is still going to be in the playoff hunt. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think so. It's funny. I was thinking about this when you guys were chatting about Houston, I think with the Rockets, it's kind of similar to Toronto this season and that the pressure's off. And I mean, I know Toronto a little bit better for this, but like when no one is paying attention to them and when they get that chip back on their shoulder, they do extremely well. Um, And I think, you know, Larry, I think Toronto will miss Larry in ways they can't anticipate necessarily because when you have someone like that, who just like reads the floor in like the kind of savant way that he, he does. And like, he does like, he can just turn a game around, you know, like he can just turn the tides and manipulate it. And I, Fred is not totally there. And that's like, not necessarily Fred's strong suit. I think Fred will be able to step in as a leader uh, in what the team lost in losing Larry, but so I think once they get their bearings of not necessarily having Lowry in that sense, Siakam is supposed to come back from his surgery and recovery. He'll be back probably like around November, which is great. Cause I feel like that gives him like a nice easy runway, you know, to the early to mid season. And then you mentioned OG, like OG Ananobi is a player who I have always watched extremely intently since he signed with the team, because he's just by virtue of like, honestly, like personal tragedy, bad luck, injury, He's never got a full runway. You know, he's like never had a full season to just really develop. You know, we saw a little bit like he was such a bright spot for me in Tampa because he'd worked on his handles like pretty incessantly and he was looking incredible, you know, and like the season before he was working on a shooting a lot. So I think once he has a full season, hopefully touch wood to like put all things, those things together, I think you'd see him grow. Honestly, I think he will grow more exponentially than Siakam has. I think Siakam is not necessarily comfortable being the guy, but I also don't think he ever should have been. And I think now with like the new guys coming in around him, he doesn't have to be. So again, if you want to talk about pressure being off, I think generally everyone seems like they've got a lot more room and space now. The like, I was a little bit about this center, lack of center kind of plaguing the team, but you know, they resigned Ken Birch, Freddie Gillespie too. Like there's like a lot of, I don't know. And everyone else can just be stretch. Maybe Toronto will be the first positionless team of just giant <laughs> players in the league. But I guess like this is the season for it too, right? Like this is the season to mess around and see what happens. So I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's also going to be like an extremely fun uh, and energetic team if all else fails. And one last thing, can we, are we all in agreement that Dallas is probably still the favorite in the division? No, you no. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I'm God. just going to say no. Cause I'm such a, I a Jason kid hater. And I feel, I feel so, I feel free Lauren. Like that is just like, what have you done? Like, you know, like Mark Cuban's made some bonehead moves, but like, that's a, uh, you know, I mean, Lucas, like, as you said, he's such a strong player. It could just be like, he could just go his own way, but it's going to be really interesting. 
Yeah, I it's it, it really could. It's so up in the air, which is so crazy because on one hand, I'm like, Luca is that good? But then I'm also like, what does Jason Kidd look like? What does Porzingis look like? How good, how much better did we get over the off season? Mm-hmm. Did we get better? And so it's just, I think you got a, a little too much change and a little, a few too many questions to answer if you really want to talk about pressure. Mm-hmm. Justin, do you think it's the Grizzlies? Yeah, man, we didn't get worse. Like people just assume that we traded Jonas Valanciunas and it made it worse. Like Steven Adams is going to bring the the rebounding and the defense and and be an upgrade on defense and then a, a healthy Jaron Jackson Jr. all year, an expanded role for Tillman and Desmond Bain. Um, the depth that we still have compared to what Dallas has on depth and then the youth of San Antonio and uh, Houston. I mean, New Orleans is maybe the wild card, but we just sat here and said that they didn't get any better either. So – I think Memphis could win their first division title, but at the same time, I'd have no problem betting the under on their over-under win total this year. I, I just think that uh, if the Grizzlies won the division, they would be a year ahead still. Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I'm not saying they got any worse, but I still just think they're kind of looking ahead two, three years in advance and not necessarily worried about winning the division this year. If it happens, it happens. But Oh, it'll definitely be. Yeah, it comes – honestly, I think the Grizzlies winning the division comes down to the health of Christoph Porzingis. Does he return to his, you know, unicorn self, or um, is he the shell of himself like we saw last year? Um, I don't think Luka on an 82-game schedule um, with a roster that didn't improve that much for them. Um, I think that's the determining factor more so than anything what Memphis does. I guess another question to ask would be when was the last time the Southwest division had so many questions and no true title <laughs> contender? I mean, it used to be that every team stood a chance of winning 50 games. Yeah. No kidding. Oh my yeah. gosh. Always the strongest division in basketball. And now you ain't got a clue who's about to come out of it. <laughs> All right. As one of you, I think it was Katie put it this way, ladies night. Um, it, Lauren, it, that was Lauren. Lauren. That was Lauren. Um, I want to give her full cred for that. Appreciate it, that. Appreciate that. It was intentional um, to have you all on together um, just because oftentimes uh, y'all are overlooked and we wanted to to highlight um, three ladies that are immensely more talented than Ben or I um, and, and several of our riders over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, and so we just wanted to put you in front of our audience um, so that they could, you know, expand uh, what they listen to and what they uh, read. And uh, we encourage all of our listeners to go read, you know, Mavs Moneyball or Pounding the Rock. And, and obviously I think a lot of our readers do read Dime um, and that, and those uh, national things, but check out their podcast too. Um, Dishes and Dimes is a, is a fun, fun podcast to listen to. Um, Lauren, I haven't had a chance to listen to y'all's yet. Um, but I definitely uh, plan to. Um, we just we just wanted to appreciate and applaud you ladies um, for the work that y'all put in contributing to the NBA world on Twitter. Um, so thank y'all for for coming on for sure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us for sure. That was a lot of fun. We need to do it again. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yeah. for sure. We will definitely have to get back together as the season goes on um, and, and uh, unfolds. Um, Lauren, anything you want to throw out there before we close it out? Uh, no, I'll just kind of follow. I mean, I will follow uh, up before. Uh, you can find all my work uh, linked to my Twitter. It's at LGun with four N's. Um, yeah, kind of confusing, but that's where that's where you can find me. Marilyn? 
Uh, yeah, you can find my work at Pounding the Rock or follow me on Twitter at AlamoAggie08. And Katie? Yeah, there's a lot which we covered. So probably the easiest thing uh, is to follow me on Twitter uh, at whatevs, W-T-E-V-S. Yes, make sure y'all follow them all on Twitter. Uh, be on the lookout tomorrow or today as you listen to this. I have a piece coming out looking at the salary cap uh, chess that Zach Kleiman is, is playing for this year with the Grizzlies and all the moves that they're making. And then uh, tomorrow I'll have part two come out for the salary cap on uh, the future and the moves that the Grizzlies will be looking to make. Ben, I know you were working on a piece featuring Pat Beverly as a Memphis Grizzly, and then they got shot yeah. down. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. So I'm not going to do any uh, trade pieces uh, or <laughs> on the new new pieces. Uh, so by the next next time we meet in two weeks, do you, anybody else getting traded? Uh, yeah, they have to. We can't this, – this deal that we just did for Culver can't be complete until we get rid of somebody. We got too many guys – on roster so at least one person has to go so either somebody gets traded or somebody's cut before we get back on this thing yeah i mean our luck is when i hit in in call they'll trade them tonight (laughs) right that's how it always goes i figured you're the one behind the dylan brooks trade rumors look i got a text from my wife she goes did i see that dylan brooks might be getting traded i was just like i wish (laughs) No, Dylan Bush is not going anywhere. <laughs> and and Sean Coleman and I will argue for ages on Kyle Anderson. So <laughs> all right. Well, uh for Katie and Lauren and Marilyn and Ben, this has been another episode of the three and D podcast. Make sure you go follow all of them on Twitter and check out their stuff. See you guys next time. Mm-hmm.